from Studio One at the worldwide headquarters of ESPN and from Studio HD in Atlanta, Georgia, this is Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and on Sirius XM Channel 80. Nobody's name shined brighter in the lights than Jimmy Butler last night for a team that many people were trying to count out. Miami went into Boston, took game one behind an impressive night from Jimmy Butler and an incredible third quarter. Question is, what's it mean and what's next? Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app. Sirius XM, Channel 80. Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz were presented by Progressive Insurance. And uh, we're going to add one to the Wolfpack right out of the gates this hour. Monica McNutt, ESPN basketball analyst, joins us right now. Monica, you've watched, especially with your work around the Knicks, you've watched so much of the heat. When you saw Jimmy Butler go off last night, what stood out to you? There go that man again. Uh, (laughs) I I can't say that I was surprised by Jimmy. I was more surprised uh, by the Celtics collapse, basically, essentially, over the course of of the fourth quarter. Um, but Jimmy Butler, as he told us, he don't care what we say. Uh, one thing that is very clear about that organization is that winning is above all. And those dudes get after it. Like that is a very different squad than what we've seen during the regular season and not your average eight seed at all. Monica, let's move to the Boston Celtics side of things. Are we making it too big of a deal that Joe Mazzulla didn't call a timeout in the third quarter at all? I'm... To Harry, I'm inclined to agree with you. I understand it, but I literally posed this question to our colleagues this morning. Like, at what time are you going to stop asking? At what point are you going to stop asking the zebra to change their stripes? Like, he's not a timeout dude. And we can point to if, cuz, when, maybe, shoulda, coulda, but we've seen that that's not how Missoula rolls and that's not how the Celtics roll. And despite folks clamoring for timeout calls, here they are. Now, maybe the magnitude or the magnifying glass on coaching and the light is getting brighter as you get closer and closer to achieving the ultimate goal. But I'm kind of with you. It is what it is. And now you got to get players that have had the experience, check, that have been in big games, check, that should have something about them to be like, hey, yo, let's get it together. We're not going out like that. And if it's that big of an issue, players can call timeout. Ah, that's a fair point, Monica. Mm-hmm. We're talking to Monica McNutt, ESPN basketball analyst. But hear me out, because we see game to game that Missoula's made some really nice adjustments for the Celtics throughout the course of the playoffs. Is he doing enough within a game? to try? Because it feels like sometimes the, the team gets a little stubborn, a little pig-headed. There's no big adjustment for it, and then we're sitting here afterwards saying, what's wrong with the Celtics? Well, I think in game, there's room for everybody to grow. But I also think that you can't – as a player, you feel it too, right? Um, and I, you know, continue to say that I was truly disappointed with Jason Tatum. Now, thankfully, it's one game in a series, and he might be a monster and help them win the next four games. But as a player, you feel it too. And I think it would be different if – I didn't really feel like the Heat switched up in the fourth, right? It was the same sort of crowding, shadowing defense that Jason had been seeing all game, that Jason is accustomed to seeing as a 1A guy on a scouting report, as a guy who reminded us humbly he's one of those greatest players in the world. So, like, 
I, I, sometimes I think maybe it's small adjustments, and whether you believe that players should be able to pick that up on the fly or coaches need to call a timeout, like we can discuss. But I think that Joe Missoula, all in all, has had a good season as far as a head coach is concerned, a first-year head coach is concerned. Well, we're going to talk about 1A because 1A didn't have a field goal in the fourth quarter and he had turnovers again like he did last year in the series against the Miami Heat. What did you see from Jason Tatum that didn't allow him to get over that hump? Was it something Joe Mazzula didn't do from calling plays for him? Or was it something that his teammates didn't do? Or was it something Jason Tatum didn't do? Um, I, uh, I'm i going to go two out of the three of those that I subscribe to, Harry. <laughs> I think for me, I'm looking at the star. Like, heavy is the head that wears the crown. I want Jason to get involved and make better decisions. Because even when he did get involved late, like, those turnovers to me were just stupid. Right? Like, if you're yeah. traveling, you're passing the ball to Jimmy Butler, like, that's just stupid. you got to be better when you did get the ball because those are your opportunities. Now, if you want to dissect and say that was a way too much ISO, it played into the hands of the Miami Heat, fine. But, like, just like he can call for a screen or he can decide to go ISO, like, you can swing the ball and get to, a, get to your next spot. Like, everybody to me from the Celtics kind of found themselves watching instead of competing. And, Monica, I need to say this, though. We do kind of need to give the Miami Heat and their defense credit because in the three losses that the Boston Celtics had last year versus the Miami Heat in the playoffs, Jason Tatum had 20 turnovers in those three losses. And I'm just talking about I, losses. Listen, I'm not even talking about wins now. I'm, I, listen, this morning I flipped the question because I do think that we need to be giving the Heat more credit. Um, but – Every basketball person looks at these rosters and after Bam and Bam out of bio and Jimmy Butler, you probably pick an all Celtics players first. Everybody looks at that, right? Yeah. I would I would suggest that Caleb Martin, Max Struth, Gabe Vincent, they played quality minutes in last year's run. So it's not like they undrafted players in their first rodeo. So there's experience there that I don't know that we give the credit that they are due. Um, but what the Heat are not going to be allowed to happen is for them to be outworked, out hustled. That's a squad that's just going to compete from Jimmy Butler down. That literally is the connective tissue from player to player in terms of the identity of that squad. And so you have to give the Heat a ton of credit. It's the reason that I haven't really been able to come out emphatically and pick a winner in this particular series because I have that much respect for the Heat, and I'm kind of sick of doubting them. Uh, so with that being said, Monica, because it raises a great point, we're trying to not overreact. And I think what's happened in every series so far is everybody sees one game and then freaks out about what it means for the rest of the series. So based on what you saw last night, what have you learned about what you expect for the rest of this series? I expect the Heat to continue to come with a level of intensity. Now, I don't expect them to shoot 50% from three. And so I think water will find its level and they'll regress in that category. But as far as their defensive attention, as far as what Kyle Lowry has been able to give you in that second unit, like maybe he doesn't hit four bombs in the span of like six minutes. But Kyle Lowry in that second unit, they got they playing with rhythm and energy. I think what is unique about the Heat compared to other teams that we've seen in the playoffs is you see the snowball of confidence growing quarter to quarter, play to play, and they are completely okay in the yuckiness, uncomfortableness of a tight ball game in the fourth because Jimmy's okay. And I don't know that I feel like the Celtics are as okay. Uh, and so if this thing, as it has been historically between these two teams, goes six or seven, you ask me who I'm more confident in if it has a tight ball game, all the basketball pedigree aside from both teams, I'm looking at the Heat. 
And so I don't think this is an overreaction. I think this heat is not like some other teams that the Southerns have gotten through to get to this point. I think I, I agree with you. Now, this morning you were on Get Up with Alan Hahn, and I want to get your thoughts on what he said, basically saying that, you know, there's more pressure on the Denver Nuggets than there were on, that, that it will be on the Lakers tonight. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, I don't think so. Um, <laughs> I, don't really, I don't really think so. Denver's the number one seed. They have home court advantage. I think if they pull this off, obviously they're in a great position, but nobody is expecting this thing to go four or five games. Or, I mean, maybe somebody is. I'm not. I'd like to talk, have a conversation with that person. Um, so I think we just got to buckle up. I, I'm not really swayed by tonight's outcome either way. Uh, I don't think the Lakers want to go down 0-2, but I'm not ready to rule them out should they end up find themselves in an 0-2 hole because throughout these playoffs, and I got to give Denver their credit because they've been one of the more consistent teams, but we've seen teams that go the rope for one reason or another. It is partly the nature of a series. It's a long series. There's a lot of basketball to be played. So I think that Denver feels slighted and dismissed, and they are just ready to show – that they are a legitimate number one seed and a team that's contending. So what's one thing you are looking for tonight that you think will make a huge impact to the rest of this series? I want to see what the Lakers look like on defense from the start of the ballgame. Granted, Denver was insane in the first half of that ballgame in terms of their shot making, but I also think that there's still a level for the Lakers to up their defense, and perhaps it is a change in personnel and the strategy. So much has been made of the Rui Hachimura adjustment and keeping Anthony Davis in front of the rim. Um, I think that's beautiful. That sounds great. But I wouldn't negate Denver as a squad that can knock down threes from multiple positions, right? Like, that's certainly how you potentially neutralize uh, a shot blocker. So, I want to see – I think this game, too, for me, is all about how the Lakers show up defensively. Monica, you are awesome. As always, keep crushing it. Love watching you on – Keep bringing like every, that energy, every girl. Every single platform. Keep bringing that energy. Get out there. Just let Thanks, us write your notes. I'll see y'all soon. That's Monica McNutt, ESPN basketball analyst, hanging out with us, giving us all the insight. Again, tonight, Lakers, Nuggets, ESPN, ESPN Radio. Coverage begins at 8 p.m. on ESPN Radio. Everybody's asking why Jason Tatum disappeared in the fourth quarter. There is a very specific answer to it and a very real reason it happened. We'll tell you what it is next. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Butler on the right side has to put it up, does, around, and down! A dagger three by Butler to push the lead to 10. Miami takes a 1-0 lead in the Eastern Conference Finals, 123-116. Fitz and Harry, the podcast. by Mark Butler on the right side has to put it up does around and down a dagger three by Butler to push the lead to 10 Miami takes a one nothing lead in the Eastern Conference Finals we're just playing really good basketball more than anything we're staying together gotta win but um that's not uh, enough for us and we want to get another one it's easy to look at somebody and say you weren't good enough But just like there are huge expectations on a player like Jason Tatum to come through when his team needs him, there's also huge expectations on other superstars to play defense. 
And maybe that's part of what we saw last night in Miami's win over Boston. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz. You mentioned earlier, Harry, that Jimmy Butler wasn't just amazing on the offensive side of the court. He was also great defensively. Here is a stat from our great stats and info department that backs that up. Jimmy Butler was the final defender on Jason Tatum on 41 of 77 half-court plays when Tatum was on the court. The Celtics shot 38% on those possessions. 60% when Butler wasn't on Tatum. The team shot 60%. When Butler was on Tatum, it went all the way down to 38%. Again, 60% if Butler's not on Tatum. 38% as a team when Butler is on Tatum. And it shows you that Butler was a disruptive force to Jason Tatum. So maybe instead of just saying Tatum stunk it up, we should also credit Butler for being a defensive powerhouse in that game. Well, Fitz, what, what these young kids say nowadays, um, they about that life. See, hmm. Jimmy Butler was about that life. And taking ownership of guarding the best player for the Boston Celtics, and it paid dividends, right? Because you just read the numbers, and they were very successful when Jimmy Butler was guarding Tatum. And I love the simple fact that there were some rumblings about, you know, a discussion, a back and forth going on in the locker room before the game. Who was going to guard Jason Tatum? And obviously, Jimmy Butler won that argument because he ended up taking him a lot of the times. But the fact that he has that mindset to me fits that. Yes, I got to be excellent on the offensive end to give us an opportunity to win this game. But I also know I have to be excellent on the defensive end and kind of minimize their best player to what he really wants to do for us to win that basketball game. To take both of those things uh, within a game of basketball, offense and defense, and put it on his shoulders and will his team to a win in game one lets you know everything that you need to know about Jimmy Butler and the mindset and the kind of player that he is. And he's not going to shy away from the moments, but instead he's going to run to him. It's and he, not, gonna, and he, he the one who's going to really run up the chimney. You see that, John? Uh-huh. He the one going to run up the chimney. He wants that smoke. Uh, but here's the thing, Harry. Not only is it about the shooting percentages – I even think, you know, it's easy. I don't even have to look at my mentions right now to know somebody's going to be tweeting me saying, yeah, but, you know, it, it wasn't defense. It made him travel twice and, you know, stupidly turn the ball over. Oh, I'm, I'm like going to get on that yeah, in a minute, but, too. But, like, I also think that that's part of the mentality, right? Like, yep. at some point when you are just being hounded defensively, it gets into your mentals. And we've seen that repeatedly from some players. Like, it just changes. Even on plays where you think you've got something, how often we hear quarterbacks saying, I'm seeing ghosts. Like, that's become a joke out here. Well, well, sometimes times for for star NBA players when you're just being hounded defensively you're pressing too hard you're trying too much you're thinking too much all of these things become factors see there you go right there now let me let me take it from the perspective of Jason Tatum and sometimes he tends to do this and we've seen this in the series against the Philadelphia 76ers um, when we've seen the Boston Celtics not be able to close out certain games early on in that series right just go with your gut man Like, say what you're going to do and do it. When you go to thinking too much and second-guessing or I should do this or maybe I should do that, that's when trouble comes. That's when you have the turnovers. That's when you have, you know, yourself throwing the ball to other players and you're probably the more high-percentage person that should be taking the shot instead of them. That's when you have all those things, when you're thinking too much. You've been playing a game of basketball from a very, very young, uh, young age and you have been that guy. You have been him, as this young generation like to say, him. You've been him for a very, very long time. 
Don't squander in those moments. But when you have a Jimmy Butler guarding you, now it might be getting to your mental a little bit. So now you are second guessing. But I'm here to tell Jason Tatum, you can't do that. Figure out what you're going to do, stick to it, and go with it. We just heard him a few days ago on the court afterwards say, humbly, I'm one of the best basketball players in the world. I don't think anybody's disagreeing with that. There are going to be times where you're going to have to rise above the defense that's being played by another person that is also one of the best basketball players in the world. This is what Jason Tatum said at his press conference when he was asked after the game about his fourth quarter struggles specifically. I turned the ball over, uh, threw it to Jimmy. Uh, you know, that was on me. And... Uh, you know, on the shot fake, uh, you know, I just got sped up a little bit. So, uh, you know, just got to slow down a little bit uh, in those moments. I mean, he's saying slow down a little bit, but it speaks to what you just mentioned. Man, some some players think, think a lot. And it just feels like when you're sitting there saying, got to slow down, got to go through. Like, the difference, what we saw between Jason Tatum and Jimmy Butler is that you had one player that was thinking and it wasn't coming naturally. And you're not, you had another player that was using instinct and had, as we said earlier, that weird it factor, whatever that is, and just letting it flow the way they know how to let it flow. You saw the, the tangible difference on the court between those two superstars. Well, and I'll say this, Jason Tatum said he was sped up a little bit. There's never a moment when I'm watching Jimmy Butler, whether it's the regular season or the playoffs, or even if he's somewhere playing pickup, he's not going to be sped up. He's going to take his time. He's going to get to his spot. If he has the open shot, he's going to take it. If he feel like he can make it over someone, he's going to take it. If he feel like he needs to pump fake and get fouled, he's going to go to the free throw line. Right, but never at any moment do you feel like Jimmy Butler is sped up. For Jason Tatum to be the quality of player that he is, he can't let anybody speed him up. Because he's viewed as a superstar. So you can't have a sound mind in quarters one through three and then get to these moments and not have that sound mind. you got to have that sound mind throughout, no matter if you're doing great or if you're doing bad or if everything is even kill. you got to have that sound mind at all times. I love what you just said about even kill because I don't care what you do. Uh, and you know this when you're playing. You can tell if somebody's balanced and level, or if somebody's not. You oh, can yes. tell if, if the moment. You can tell if somebody's getting the best. Of, the moment's getting the best of somebody. I should say, like we've done it enough of what we do. Like you know, when you work on TV with somebody, that you can just tell that they're not comfortable. They're not in their element. They're not letting it come to you. You can tell when you're on stage with somebody if, if the moment's too big. Like everybody in the room can read that. If if Tatum is at a spot where everything's rushed and he doesn't feel himself, that's an energy that's given off that everybody. He's reading. Well, can I say this too, though? Because I think sometimes that energy rubs off on the rest of the Boston Celtics, too. Because I'm not going to ignore uh, Jalen Brown because Jalen Brown had six turnovers yesterday in that game last night. You know what I'm saying? So I think sometimes when your best player, it's affecting them in that manner, sometimes it can rub off on other guys. And, you, and that's one thing you definitely don't want. That's why it's important for Jason Tatum to keep his composure at all times. But that's the difference between being a guy or one of the best guys and being a face of the league. Like, and to your point, when you are that person, and I believe Jason Tatum is, I, I mean, the 51 points in Game 7, we've talked about how much. 
when you are that person, the entire team feeds off of what you do, whether it's a negative or a positive. The entire Miami Heat team fed off of Jimmy Butler. The entire Denver Nuggets team feeds off of Nikola Jokic and how he plays. The entire Lakers team feeds off of the energy of AD and LeBron. Like We know who those guys are, and there's a reason that you can say those names and even casual fans will just fall over themselves about how great that player is. Jason Tatum is in that category. The problem is when you're in that category and you have a night where things are rushed and things don't feel right and it just doesn't feel natural for you and you've fallen apart in the second half, more often than not, your team's going to mimic that same fall apart. You're a thousand percent right, Harry. Like, and you everyone's don't want that energy. Off. You yeah. don't want that energy because, <laughs> like, what, what I'm just saying, like, what we learned about the Boston Celtics is that when that energy is amongst their team, things don't turn out well for them. And how often have we seen in the NBA particularly the team that wins is the team that brings the most give a damn from the opening whistle, the opening tip, all the way to the buzzer. Like that is – there's a tangible thing there. that They're feeding off energy and the heat fed off of it last night. We got plenty that we're going to break down on that matchup. By the way, one in four car batteries is weak. Needs to be replaced. Let the professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts test your battery for free. They can also help you find the best superstar battery for your vehicle. Who doesn't want that? It's just fun to say superstar battery. Learn more at O'Reilly Auto Parts. All right, we'll get back to all of the Eastern Conference, Western Conference final breakdown that you could possibly beg for. But the NFL seems to be all in on one lovable loser. What if it all goes south? Fitz and Harry, the podcast. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz, we'll get back to all your NBA action you could possibly want. There's a new column out on ESPN Plus, Dan Graziano, the biggest questions facing all 32 quarterbacks, and it had us thinking we should really make Graziano work longer today. Even though he was on Get Up this morning, smashing tiny helmets. I, uh, Graz, I know we got football to get to. He joins us now, ESPN NFL Insider. First and foremost, if Woody's going to smash tiny, tiny helmets, shouldn't they let you smash huge helmets? I think, like, full Gallagher mode, like big helmets and a big old mallet? Let's go. I don't know if that would work. I had a hard enough time smashing the little plastic ones. Okay. So you give me a full-size <laughs> helmet, like, I don't know what I would I'd need some sort of sledgehammer. And really... The small ones make enough of a mess as it is. Uh, the bigger ones, I think, would just be worse. So, no, I, I think the bit, the big man tiny helmets works, and uh, it, it's it's ridiculous that they let us do it at all because it is actually dangerous, and that stuff starts flying around. But um, so far, we haven't heard from, you know, like human resources or anything. So well, that, we're that, keep at it. that's a win so far. We hope that case yeah. continues, although it hurts my heart every single time Woody smashes a Raiders helmet. So we're going to play a little game yeah. with both you and uh, Harry here, and it's best case, worst case, in honor of your questions facing 32 quarterbacks as us thinking about our favorite teams. So a little bit of a best case, worst case, case scenario for what you expect. We'll start with Devin's favorite team because we like to share around here, the New York football Giants. Dan, and what do you think the best case, worst case scenario is for the Giants? I mean, I think best case for the Giants is probably, you know, last year plus a little, like, right? Like, like get back to the playoffs. Maybe you can, you know, find a way to steal a division title. That's uh, going to be tough. But, you know, get back to the playoffs, continue to have playoff success and kind of keep building. I, I think, you know, I think last year was such a surprise for the Giants. 
that like asking for another big jump forward is a lot at this point, given their personnel. But if they if they don't take a major step back, I think that's a that's a win for them as they continue to build toward the future. So I don't think they're a Super Bowl contender, but I think you know to be a playoff team again and continue to build that kind of success uh, would be great. Worst case scenario is you know Saquon holds out and and or gets hurt. And Daniel Jones has injury issues like he had early in his career, and, and you just don't have that kind of repeat of last year. So that would put them, you know, worst-case scenario for them. They, they could certainly bottom out in the NFC East and be third or fourth place. But um, I, guess, I guess they were third place last year, even though they made the playoffs. But, uh, yeah, I think there's a wide range of outcomes there. I believe in Brian Dayball and what he's putting together. But, um, yeah, I don't think they're all the way, you know, all the way there yet in terms of being like a Super Bowl contender team. So I'll say for me, best case, I'm going to go wild card team. Um, I just believe Philly yeah. is so strong. And also, I think Dallas is the second best team in that division. So the the best case for them is to try to make a wild card. I think the worst case scenario, if like you just mentioned, Dan, if Saquon Barkley is feeling some type of way about, you know, not having this contract and then you have injuries that creep up because that does play a factor in a lot of these teams, uh, whether they have success or not, if they can stay healthy. So I think worst case, case scenario is – you know, you have things creep up on your team that you necessarily don't want to happen, and then they don't make the playoffs, and next thing you know, you're trying to figure out where you're going to go on the draw, drawing board from there. All right, you guys are both wrong about yeah. the worst case. The worst case is that Daniel Jones proves he was never worth the money, and everybody starts panicking. Well, That's right. the worst case. Uh, uh, Devin, Devin <laughs> has buzzed me on that and said that he doesn't want to hear any of that. Uh, Dan, what do you think on the Jets? Evan is a big J-E-T-S, suck, suck, suck Jets fan. Uh, what do you think on the Jets? Best case, worst case? I'm trolling everybody. I mean, the best case scenario for the Jets is the Super Bowl. Like they, like they, like you get Aaron Rodgers not to, not to try and like make the second round of the playoffs. Like that, like they're they're going for it. So, you know, their best case is Mackay Becton plays all seventeen games, and and the protection issues aren't really a problem because they're getting what they hoped they would get out of him when they drafted him, and and Rodgers plays like the MVP he was two years ago and three years ago, and the defense remains elite, and you're a, you're a contender for the whole dang thing. That That's the best-case scenario for the Jets. The worst-case scenario for the Jets is you don't have anything at tackle. You have a repeat of last year offensive line-wise, and that affects Rodgers in a negative way. And, you know, very, very few people that we know of do negative better than Aaron. So, like, when that starts to go bad, I think it could go very, very bad. And and the worst case scenario for them is is they don't contend for the playoffs and they went all in on Aaron Rodgers and then he decides he's had enough and he, and he retires after next year. I also agree with Dan Graziano. I think the uh, best case for the New York Jets will be a Super Bowl appearance. I think the worst case scenario for the New York Jets is that things don't work out with Aaron Rodgers and he still plays 65% of the snaps and now that first round draft pick is now to the Green Bay Packers as well. Yeah, you guys are probably right. Best case, third third place in the division. Worst case, sacked 18 times, week one retires. All right, uh, let's go to the Falcons <laughs> next, Graziano. Uh, Harry Douglas' Atlanta Falcons. Let's get best case, nice worst schedule. case. Nice schedule in front mm-hmm. of them. Nice schedule. A division where, like, I, I don't think anybody really has a great handle on who we like to, to win that division, right? Like, it could be anybody. Um, then the helmet smashing today, D. Wood picked the Panther? Really? Pick the Pan- oh, you pick the Saints. I think he was torn. Look, I think best case for the Falcons is is they win that division, right? Like, like they can, 
that, 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 that Desmond Ritter plays well and what Arthur Smith has built in terms of an offense works and they get something on defense and, and they, they win uh, a cluttered division with like a 10-7 and seven record, right? And the worst-case scenario is Ritter can't play and all they have to fall back on is, is um, who did they sign? Uh, uh, Heineke, Taylor Heineke. Heineke. And, uh, and they muddle through and they're still looking for a quarterback uh, when, come next year's draft. Yeah, best case for me is that they win the division. I have them, Graz, going 7-3 and three in the first 10 games because that's how the schedule oh. looks to me. It looks very, 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 very good. Worst case scenario yeah. is that Des- Desmond Ritter is not the guy and the Falcons are in a situation where they can probably pick a quarterback in next year's draft because the quarterback position haven't lived, hasn't lived up to the hype, which I think is going to be very, very hard when you have a B. John Robinson. You also have offensive linemen that you re-signed, yeah. and you have a Kyle Pitts and a Drake London. So that's another reason why the Falcons took B. John to also complement yeah. that young quarterback so he has the weapons yeah, to try to be you know, good I, in this league. Look, the best-case scenario is that they figure out that Desmond Ritter is, is terrible by week two or three so that they can get a quarterback next year. The worst-case scenario <laughs> is they go all year with Desmond Ritter and then realize that at the end of the year they're stuck with Desmond Ritter. You know, it's, it's amazing. We went through this whole segment. We ran out of time before we got into the Raiders. That just It's amazing how that happened, Gross. Oh, just, sometimes, you know, you don't waste your time on nonsense. That's oh my, all that is. Oh okay. We, we could have had, had a lot of fun with that one. That's for sure. Well, you better yeah, believe it. Call me back. There's always yeah. a... There's always the you have a time. cigarette since they used to smoke them on the field back in the Gross, day. Like I, I mean, when I'm, they were good. Am I going to be hungover every Monday? Like I just I don't I don't even know. Like I don't think they make enough alcohol to get me through this season, Dan. I'm just praying for myself at this point. That's all I can do. Sounds like that. Sounds like it's up to you, really. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know don't go to blame other people and other things. Look, so it sounds like, like a personal problem. You know my angst. You know the, you know the way I get on this. Uh, Dan Graziano, <laughs> check out the article out on ESPN Plus telling you uh, the the question marks on 32 quarterbacks uh, i love the, the the work i always love your work you know that thanks for hanging out with us brother well right back at you guys thank you that's dan graziano fitz and harry presented by progressive insurance protect your family your home and your furry friends with life electronic device and pet health insurance like i do with annabelle love you annabelle all right our friends at espn.com have updated power rankings out for the nfl we'll tell you who's too high too low and what they got just right next fitz and harry on espn radio and sirius xm channel 80 fitz and harry the podcast Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz, Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. We're going to bring producer extraordinaire Evan in on this. If you guys haven't checked it out, you should out on ESPN.com. We now have power rankings out for the NFL. We'll get back to the NBA in a minute. Relax. Right? There are power rankings, and we're very upset by them. So we're going to play a bit of a game here. And it's gonna it's almost like Goldilocks, all right? Is it uh, too high, too low, or just right? Evan, you're gonna give us the team and the position, and we will figure out too high, too low, just right. Are you feeling any pressure, Evan? You feel ready for this? Yeah, a lot of pressure. Uh definitely after you singing and going to that high pitched of a voice. I'm not sure right. I want to okay. be part of this segment, <laughs> but hey, we'll give it a try. Uh the Philadelphia Eagles, they're third in the post NFL uh draft power rankings. Harry. Too high, too low, just right for the defending NFC champs. I think it's just right. Um, I think a lot of people have them third because of the coordinators. Both of those guys 
um, going off places and, you know, getting head coaching jobs. I think that's the only reason why they're third and not probably second. So I think they're being third, I think it's the perfect position for them. Yeah, I think third is right also with a lot of respect to the fact that one and two is Kansas City and Cincinnati, right? Uh, and Cincinnati did add Orlando Brown Jr. Uh, so I think Cincinnati continues to have continuity. That's uh, the word you were just referencing there with the Eagles. They don't have it. Uh, I, I like that. I think that feels good. All right, what do you got next, Ev? How about the San Francisco 49ers at five? Too high, too low, just right? Uh, for me, I will put them ahead of the Buffalo Bills, to be, to be honest. I, I, I would literally put them ahead of the Buffalo Bills. And you look at, you know, the quarterback position is going to be a lot of questions. But one of the things that we, we learn about this football team is when you have everything else surrounded by that, around that quarterback, I think they're going to be okay. Brock Purdy, we know, is going to be the guy. But if his health is in question, it's going to be Sam Darnold or Trey Lance. Now, uh, I think Sam Darnold, if he becomes a starting quarterback until uh, Brock Purdy gets healthy, is going to have the best supporting cast he's ever had in his career. He's a quarterback that shows the athleticism, and Kyle Shanahan can utilize that to their advantage as well. Plus, this defense is going to be this defense. It's going to be top five year in and year out. Uh, so I just that's the way I feel. Plus, they added Javon Hargrave, man. That's a big plus here, and this is where I'm a little torn because you know I love Buffalo, and I think we are sleeping on the Bills. But Javon Hargrave added to a defensive line that was already stout, 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 stout. I I think it might be too low. Yeah, I'm gonna yep. I'm gonna say the 49ers belong at four. I'm still really high on the Bills, but I, I that Javon Hargrave, as the article points out, 53 pressures, nine sacks last season with a 14.1 pressure rate, the best in the NFL amongst tackles. Like that is just staggering productivity to add to a defensive line that didn't need any help. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think they're a little low. The Baltimore Ravens were 14th in the post free agent power rankings they since then have signed Odell Beckham Jr. drafted Zay Flowers and obviously extended Lamar Jackson they are eighth is that too high too low just right for the Ravens I think it's too low I I think the Ravens getting Lamar Jackson not saying that you you ever lost him but making sure you didn't lose him uh, was very pivotal for this organization but also Todd Munkin becoming the offensive coordinator I thought the back end of their defense played well um, towards the tail end of the season, not more so early on. But I also feel like, you know, adding Odell Beckham Jr. to go along with a Zay Flowers and adding those two guys along with the two tight ends that they have, I think it's going to be very feasible for this for this offense and moving forward in the new-look offensive Baltimore Ravens more so than we've seen the old mindset of the Baltimore Ravens. I, I think this is honestly – I think they're just right. And part of why is who's ahead of them. We just went all the way through San Francisco. Uh, Miami is going to have the Tua question, but if Tua is healthy, Miami is one of the best teams in the NFL. We all know that. Uh, the Cowboys are ranked ahead of them. Those are the only two teams we really haven't referenced. The Cowboys, I don't trust, so I, I, I wouldn't have a problem flip-flopping the Ravens, but I feel like the Cowboys-Ravens are, are very similar. I like eight as, as being just, just right for them. All right. All right, let's go to the Jets. They were 16th, then they got Aaron Rodgers. They're now 12th, too high, too low, just right. Entirely too low. They can't be 12th, right? We talk about this team last year was only a quarterback away, and they didn't even get any indicative of feasible play from the quarterback position last year. No quarterback threw for over 60%. Everybody was in the 50s when it came to completion percentage. Now you got Aaron Rodgers, a guy who was a back-to-back MVP and has a Super Bowl on his resume to go along with that defense, having another year under their belt under uh, Robert Sala. So I think the Jets should be higher on this list. 
so I'd have to drop somebody to make him higher. I think the teams we've already mentioned are better than the Jets. I think this year, so now we're really talking about the Chargers, the Jags, and the Seahawks. I wouldn't have a problem putting the Jets ahead, frankly, of any of those teams. The Chargers are a team that every year I fall in love with and tell you they're going to win the division. This is the year they finally break through, and every year they just make me look like a moron. So I'm not really going to buy in on the Chargers, but I'm not out on the Chargers. The Jags add Calvin Ridley to a team that was already – I mean, we all saw the ascension of them last year. So I think that's a huge addition. I I, I would say right now I'd put the Jets ahead of at least the Chargers and the Seahawks. Uh, Still waiting to see on the Jags. The Packers, this is, I'm just doing this one because the Packers were 20th. They stayed at 20th. And it said most improved nowhere. How do you go through the entire NFL draft and not improve at any position? So the Packers, 20th, too high, too low, just right. I mean, that uh, feels like that's yeah. just right to me. Yeah, right? I, I think so too because, I mean, there are a lot of question marks about the quarterback position. And we all know that's a very important position when it comes to your team's success. So is Jordan Love going to be the guy? Is he going to be able to lead and guide them to places that they want to go? Might not be able to do it in year one, but moving forward, I'm, I'm interested to see what Jordan Love is going to be for this team. I think it speaks to the fact that there are a lot of teams right now that may or may not be good. Like right now, I'm not confident in the Saints, the Panthers, the Broncos, the Commanders, the Rams. Those are the five teams after them. I'm not confident in any of those teams being better. You I, know who you did mention? Well, I mean, I, I stopped before we got to the Falcons, who they said don't, don't, don't play. 26. <laughs> 26 uh, that Southside south almost came out of me. Boy, almost, boy, don't play with me. Oh, Evan just <laughs> said too high at 26 for the Falcons. <laughs> what does Evan know that we don't? What, what, what does he know about too high? He wouldn't know anything about oh, being too high. Oh, sure joke i know about being too high but it's a totally different version of that hey uh, yo what one more titans 28th too high too low just right fit i got i'm so i'm stunned by this and i realize that the titans are in a bit of transition with their offensive line their offensive line was bad last year too but uh, skaronski i think helps so i just 28th the fourth worst team in the nfl i just have a hard time finding that if ryan Tannehill is healthy and he will be healthy they were well, they're better than they're getting credit for also, you talk about Ryan Tannehill, and I'm, I'm talking about Derrick Henry, too. Let's not yeah. forget Derrick Henry is still on this football team. I think Traylon Burks, the wide receiver for them, he, he has a lot of making up to do. He was a guy that was injured a lot last year. They need him to step up and make plays. They need him to be available. But the offensive line has to be right. Also, they're playing the Colts and the Texans for four of their games in the division. Seems like that's easy. All right, how have the Heat gone from losing a playing game to three wins from the NBA Finals in a month? We'll tell you. Fitz and Harry. Fitz and Harry, the podcast. 